All right, good morning. Good to see you here on this fourth Sunday of October. Is that right? Yeah, because October has five Sundays this year. And we're glad you're here. If you're a guest, thanks for making your way here and spending a little bit of time with us here at Gateway. I'm Pastor Dave. Some people have been asking where I've been, but I've been here. Uh, I just float around a little bit. Last week I was in Mississippi. Who's been to Mississippi? If you didn't go, you didn't miss anything, I'm telling you. <clears throat> but I have to go for 14 more months, Darren, 14 more. I can do that. I can do that. Hey, we're in the home stretch of this series right here. The home stretch, that means we're looking at the finish line. This is sermon seven of ten sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached, arguably the greatest because of who preached it, right? Very short, would take you maybe 10 to 15 minutes to read this, but we could preach on it for literally at least 10 weeks, maybe 10 months. There's so much in here. It's very challenging. Last week, Philip shared with you the message from the end of chapter 6 where we talked about priorities. And we're all people of priorities. Whether you consciously do it, write them down, go after them or not, you have priorities in your life, don't you? And if you don't set your priorities, they'll set you. We could look at your checkbook, talk about your priorities. We could look at your time schedule, your calendar, and determine your priorities. So last week we said, we said this very important thing, that priorities uh, should be a certain something and for believers, not something else. That's Jesus, he kind of painted two pictures, competing priorities. And let me just tell you something to sum up last week, God should not have to compete for your priorities. He shouldn't have to compete. God shouldn't have to remind you, hey, it's, remember, it's my way, it's not your way, it's my plan, it's not your plan, it's my word, not your word. God should not have to compete, but oftentimes in our life, we make God compete for our priorities, don't we? Because we go after, Jesus mentioned last week, we go after treasure, money, we, we, we go after um, uh, maybe some kind of place we want to be instead of being where he wants us to be. But God shouldn't have to compete because he is worthy of all of our allegiance. Amen? He's worthy of all of it. It shouldn't even be a, it's, there shouldn't even be a close second when it comes to your priorities. And you should think about that tomorrow when you uh, start living your life and spending your money and uh, taking your time with people or things is this something that God has as your priority? Now, today we're going to flip the page. This is the last page we're going to flip in this series. It's chapter 7 of Matthew. If you have a Bible, you want to turn there, we're going to read the first five verses this morning. The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus was on the north shore of the Galilee, uh, you know, the Sea of Galilee. He's preaching to a large crowd of people. But primarily, he's speaking to his disciples. We know this from the beginning of the of the uh, chapter five. He's speaking primarily to his disciples. They're the ones who need to really get this. 
And as kind of an overflow of that, the people are gathered to hear because the Bible tells us Jesus taught like nobody else. I mean, when he taught, they were captivated by his teaching. They were like, wow, we, we don't hear anybody else teaching like this. And Jesus spoke with authority. He wasn't, he wasn't referring to rabbi so-and-so or the prophet so-and-so. Occasionally he would do that. He, he, was, he was speaking as if he was speaking from God. And in many cases, as God. And that's, of course, what got him in trouble with the other group that was in the crowd. His disciples were there. Lots of common folk were there. But over on the fringes, over in the margins of this crowd and maybe in the back, there were skeptics. There were religious leaders called what? Remember? Fair Pharisees. And they were always out to catch him. And so Jesus took advantage of the opportunity here to really go at them in kind of a non-direct way, non-directly. He would, he would do it more directly later, but he's kind of doing it non-directly here. I think he would kind of motion to them every now and then. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're in chapter 7. We're going to talk about judgment today. This is expository preaching, so we let the text determine what we talk about. We let the text determine what we say about what we talk about. It's expository preaching. And it starts out like this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, many of you are like me, you probably learned this verse from the old King James Version. And the King James Version of, of this verse says, help me out here, judge not that Ye, not you, ye, ye be not judged. Did you know that this verse, Matthew 7, 1, is, is the most, or was, the most popular verse of Scripture with non-believers? Did you know that? It's the most popular verse with non-believers. They love this verse. And some Christians love this verse. And perhaps you've heard it said to you, maybe you've heard it said this way. I feel like I need to put my hands on my hips when I say this. Don't judge me. Has anybody ever been told that? Don't judge me. Has anybody ever used that line? Don't judge me. Sure. And usually that's kind of a, a, a precursor to I'm getting ready to do something bad and I don't want you to judge me for it maybe a cover-up for sin. And Jesus said, don't, don't judge. Now, is that what Jesus meant? Did he really mean don't judge other people? Is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to go through life not judging people? I mean, think about it. How many, how many Christian, let me just ask it this way. How many fathers, 
How many dads are out there? Anybody, we got any dads out there? Okay, hold your hands up, dad. Now, how many dads have daughters? Put your hand down if you only have sons. That's okay, I didn't have any sons. If you got daughters, okay, you got daughters. Now you can put your hand down. Let's suppose your daughter, maybe, maybe she's not of a dating age yet, which is, you know, 25, 35, something like that, right? <laughs> maybe maybe your, your daughter starting to talk about boys and boys are starting to ask about her. And what if this, what if this guy shows up on your doorstep, knocks on the door, and he's... You come to the door, Dad, because that's what you should do. And you should also be carrying what? Shotgun or something. Yeah, you know, just for effect. Let him know you're comfortable with that. And, uh, and, and you come to the door, and he's dressed like, I don't know, a, a lot of images came to my mind when I was thinking about this. Let's say he was dressed like a mafia man. Does that make any sense? Maybe, maybe gothic or something. And what part of his... What, what part of him you can see is pierced and tattooed and all that. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. And he, he reeks of the wacky weed. Is that, did I communicate the right thing there? You know what I'm trying to say there? And he's knocking on your door and he says, is Sarah home? Now, are you as a dad supposed to say, well, I, I can't judge. I can't judge him. Sarah, your um, person is down here. Is that the way we're supposed to be? No, we got to ju- do some judging there, don't we? Or, or let's say uh, maybe, maybe you're not a parent, but you have a car. Let's say you have a car and you take it down to the shop because it's not running very good. It's not running very good. I mean, it's like missing. Uh, you know, it's a Ford probably. And it's, you know, if you take it, <laughs> sorry. You take it down there and it's not running well. And, uh, and the guy says, come back, uh, you know, in three days and I'll, I'll have it back here for you, ready to go. You go back in three days and you get in it, pay the guy. You get in there and you start it up and it, it's the same problem. Plus, you notice three scratches on the driver's door that weren't there before. Are you supposed to say, well, bless his heart, I can't judge him. Uh, Keep the money. Is that what we're supposed to do? Of course not. We are supposed to judge. What does Jesus mean then when he says, judge not, that you be not judged. Let's dive into this. You know, the Greek word for judge is the, is the word here, it's krinete, and it's, uh, you know, it's from the form of the word krino or krito. The Greek language is interesting. And it means to make a decision by separating out the bad from the good. In other words, it's, you know, this, this, this term, especially in the Greek language and even in the English language is often used as an English, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, a legal term, you know? So when you go, you go see the judge and the judge is gonna make a judgment about your case and maybe he's gonna get some help from a jury. And so what they're gonna try to do is they're gonna try to get to what? The 
truth. You're trying to get to the truth by separating out the good from the bad or the bad from the good. And so they can make a judgment. And so that's what, uh, that's what the word judge means here. Now, is Jesus saying that we can't do that? Judge not that you be not judged. Is he saying don't look at a person or look at a situation and make a decision based on how you can separate the good from the bad? Is that what he's saying? Well, I think we also have to look at the, at the context of his sermon. In this crowd, again, were his disciples who were his primary audience. There were Pharisees, other Jewish leaders, and of course there were lots of common folk who were influenced by those Pharisees. And, and uh, I, I, again, I think when Jesus said things that made the people think of those out on the fringe, like the Pharisees, for instance, in chapter, in chapter 6, if you remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, when you give your offering, don't announce it with trumpets like the Pharisees. And I think when he said that, he, he might have he said, like, like the Pharisees over there. Now, the Pharisees, again, this is, this is without the world of amplification. You know, it was kind of a setting, amphitheater type setting. But it was, maybe, maybe they were leaning in, like, what did he say? What, is he talking about us? Because they had already heard him say, you know, the Pharisees, they're, they're the ones who are the teachers of the law. And unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you can't go to heaven. And I'm sure they were high-fiving each other then. But there were occasions when Jesus would say, probably lower his voice a little bit. And let, he, would, he would say, uh, he, you know, if you give, when you pray, don't do it like those guys over there. Because all they're doing it for is attention. Attention. And, and I want you to know this. If you, if you didn't catch this, you need to know this about the Sermon on the Mount. I hope it's coming out. I hope you do know this. If you don't, I want to tell you right now, this entire sermon in this entire sermon, Jesus is continually contrasting the outward ritualistic and religious hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders versus the inward heartfelt faith that God wants to see in his people. So that's what he's doing here. He's saying, when you live out your faith, you have a choice. You could be like those guys, but I'm highly discouraging that. Because all they do is faith for show. It's not coming from their heart. And if it is coming from their heart, that tells us their heart is bad. God doesn't want the show. God wants the heart. God wants the heart. And so that, that's what he's saying in this entire sermon. So when we think about this area of judging, Jesus isn't saying not to judge what he's saying is that when you judge, he's actually going to tell us how to judge. Don't be judgmental. You know this word, don't you? You're so judgmental. Judgmental. Using good judgment is good, but being judgmental is not good. Being judgmental means we rush to judgment. And we do so often out of spiritual pride and arrogance. That's what be judgmental means. We, we're, we're judging you, kind of, you know, sticking our nose down at you. And so, verse 2, he says, 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And that's why I think he's saying, don't be judgmental in your judgments. Don't be judgmental. This reminds me of uh, this when, it, when, he, when he says here, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It kind of reminds me of the, of the parenting tactic. If you've got two kids and they're about the same age and they fight over the same thing. Anybody have that situation? Yeah, there's people who do that. And uh, maybe it's, let, let's say it's a, it's, a, it's a cookie. Let's say it's a cookie. There's one cookie. I mean, how in the world could you only have one cookie, mom? Eat that thing before they see it, right? They see one cookie and they both want it. They both want it. And so the, the, the brilliant parenting strategy is this. You say to the oldest, okay, you're the oldest. I'm going to let you cut the cookie in half. But he's the youngest. He gets to pick the first piece. Ah, that's a great tactic, isn't it? It's a great tactic. You get to cut it, and he gets to pick, take the first pick. That's what I kind of think of here is that you, if, you, if you want a, a, a good piece of the cookie, then be fair with your cut. Be fair with your cut. If you rush to judgment with, without all the facts, and if you criticize and judge others with spiritual arrogance and pride, with a need for spiritual superiority over them, then you can expect this kind of judgment right back to you. Now, here's what you should know about this text in, in the original language. In the original language, this, some, sometimes when we see a phrase, it will be, it will be measured to you. Jesus is using what's called the divine passive voice. Passive, in other words, it's going to happen in the future, and God is going to make it happen. So what, what, he's, what he's using what's called the divine passive voice. It will be. In other words, if, if you're unfair, if you're judgmental in your judgments, you can expect on judgment day for God to be judgmental in his judgments against you. It's a divine passive. It's a way to wake people up. It's like, oh, I need to think. I need to think about eternity. I need to think about the, the end. He does, he does this earlier, back in chapter 6. Remember uh, when we, he gave us the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer? Uh, Our Father which art in heaven. You remember that prayer? And then he tacks something on to the end of that, and he does it in the divine passive voice. He says, if you do not forgive others their sins, then your heavenly father, what? Will not forgive yours. And it was a little more clear there because he used the father. The father will not forgive yours. And he's talking about that this is the divine passive voice. In other words, this is going to happen at some point in the future. And if you're an unforgiving person, then you're not going to be forgiven on judgment day. Now, this is, Jesus is kind of waking them up. He's kind of shocking them into thinking that your life is more than what's happening right now today. What happens in your life and how you treat other people and how you demonstrate your faith, it matters. It matters because God is going to reward you. He's going to reward you or he's going to punish you. 
And so you might remember uh, back in the spring, we did a series in the book of James. And we actually referred to this passage in Matthew when we did that series in James. I, th- you know, I think James was in the crowd. James was a brother of Jesus, a half-brother, same mother, different father. Joseph was the father of Joseph. God was the father of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so I think James was there because when Jesus was doing his ministry, James was not a believer. He was not a believer. I think he was standing in the crowd with those Pharisees. I think he had his arms folded saying, oh, what a crazy guy. No, he's my brother, but he thinks he's God. What do you th- What a crazy guy. I don't know what happened to him. So I think James was in the crowd because a lot of Jesus' teachings show up in the book of James. And, and James dealt with this in James Chapter four, Jesus told, uh, James um, told his audience, he said, there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? And he was talking about a, an arrogant attitude as we judge other people. So the question we have to ask or answer is how can we judge without being judgmental? How can we judge before, without being judgmental? And it's very simple. Jesus says, very simple. Look in before looking out. Look in before looking out. You remember that Jesus was a carpenter's son. Remember that? Joseph may have worked with wood, but he might have also worked with stone. You know, they were kind of handymen. This the word implies they could have just, they were men who worked with their hands. And, and probably did a lot of woodwork. And so Jesus uses an illustration from what, what is probably in his background. Because he's going to talk about specks of sawdust and logs or planks. This is actually the word. This word dokon for plank is that main beam that holds up the rafters. Some of you know what I'm talking about here. That main beam that all the rafters sit on. That's the word he's talking about here. And you know, uh, th- this, is, this, is a, this is the humorous side of Jesus. Y- y'all know Jesus was, uh, he, he said, come to me because my burden is light. He was, I think he was uh, lighthearted in a lot of ways. And he told a lot of funny, he said a lot of funny things. Often because we don't read the Bible, we read it all serious and you know, it's like, but I think Jesus said some funny things that the people would have laughed about. And here's one of them. Here's one of the first ones we run into. There's a lot in Matthew 23 when he's going after the Pharisees. You should read that sometime with this in mind. But he said this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Now, if we were, if we were acting this out today, if you could imagine, and we're, we're, we're a 2023 audience and we, graphics is right down our alley because we have screens everywhere and we see stuff, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not true. So you can imagine uh, this, this person uh, with this big plank coming out of his forehead. He's like, man, you, you need to go see a doctor. What is that thing? And he's walking over to you and that plank is just swinging. And he says, hey, you know, there's a speck in your eye. I need to get it out for you. And he's banging you around with that plank. Now, this is first century humor. I think the crowd would have roared in laughter when they imagined this. Again, you and I have the benefit 
of, of having screens and images and Hollywood-produced stuff that nothing surprises us anymore. And we, we even wonder, is this true? Is it not true? It doesn't matter. It's funny. But in the first century, they would have seen in their mind an image like this, and they would have roared with laughter. How ridiculous. How silly. You got this plank, and you're banging everything, breaking everything in the store, and you're, you're just hitting everybody with it going side to side. And you have the audacity to want to come over to me and get this, this little tiny speck of sawdust, which is irritating, yeah. But you can't help me with that. I mean, yours started as a speck, and look, it's a beam now. It's grown. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. And I think the people would have rolled in laughter. And what he's saying here is, is that if you're going to tell me about my sin, my problem, my issue, maybe you should look at your own first. You need to look in the mirror, pal, right? That's what he's saying. In verse 25, he uses the word hypocrite, hypocrite. It's the fourth time he used it, in the, it's the fourth and the last time he uses it in this sermon, the word hypocrite. It comes from a compound Greek word, a lot of those Greek words do, hypocrite. And again, krite is related to krino, which means to judge. So hypo is the word for under. So literally the word hypocrite means under judge under judge so what you know this this word was also used this word under judge can also be translated act and so i don't know if you remember in the middle middle ages when shakespeare was writing they used to actors used to wear a mask that's that's where the word hip hypocrite was used as well they were they were acting one way with a mask on and another way with the mask off one way with the mask on kind of free no inhibitions because you don't know who i am i'm on social media i can say what i want to but when you meet me in person you realize that's not who i am you're either trying to portray yourself as better or worse but hypocrite in in the judge means that you underjudge yourself and you overjudge others so you've got problems but oh, it's no big deal but you got problems, and oh, that's a big deal. We need to address that. And oftentimes, the very thing that they are accusing you of, they are doing themselves. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, the very thing that they want to judge you for, they're doing themselves. Hypocrite. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Look in before looking out. You can't hold someone accountable to something if you're not doing it yourself. You know, we would like to say, do what I say and not what I do. But what's going to happen with your kids? They're going to do what you do. We were just talking yesterday about uh, our, our grandsons and how uh, they hear things. Like, I wonder where he heard that. What in the world? How, did, what did he say? Where did he hear that? Probably your husband. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Because people do what people see. 
you can say what you want, but your kids are going to do what you do. And I could go down this rabbit trail for a long time, but I, I'm going to refrain from that. You can't tell someone else to stop doing something if you're doing it worse than they are. And don't miss this. Jesus said, take the log out, deal with your sin, deal with your problem so that you can help somebody else with theirs. We are supposed to judge. We just can't judge hypocritically. We can't judge hypocritically. We can't judge without examining ourselves. It might mean that you go to someone and say, you know, I've dealt with that. Or I'm dealing with that. And, and I, I notice maybe you're dealing with that too. Let's work on this together. I'm not going to criticize you. I'm just going to say, hey, as a fellow struggler, we, we need to work on this, don't we? Jesus taught more about the idea of judgment in John 7, 24. He's, he was telling the Pharisees at a festival, they were trying to accuse him of being uh, demonic. And he said, do not judge. He had just done a miracle. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, he's saying, you can judge my teaching and my life, but make sure you have all the facts first. So how do we, how do we judge without being judgmental? Number one, we look in before we look out. And number two, we don't judge just by outward appearances. You know, we use this verse uh, a few times in the last several months where Samuel thought the oldest, Eliab, would be the, the new king. But God said, don't look at his outward appearance. Look, try to look at his heart because that's what I look at. I look at the heart. You're looking like a, a man. And so we have a tendency to judge without the full facts, just by outward appearance, whether it's favoritism or discrimination. People have been judged by their skin color. They've been judged by the way they dress. They've been judged by where they're from. They've been judged by uh, their economic status. There's lots of things that are happening in our world even today that cause people to judge. And, you know, this is where the word prejudice comes from. When you prejudge someone, prejudice, you prejudge them without knowing all the facts, without getting to know them, then, you, then you're being judgmental. You're walking down the street and someone comes towards you, maybe a group of someones, and they're dressed a little bit in a way that you're afraid, and so you're, you're judging. Now, it's really hard today. You don't wanna put your life in danger. You wanna be smart. But we, have to, we just have to be so careful, so careful that we, we don't judge just by outward appearances. You know, outward appearances have been used to discriminate. Let me just tell you, it's been, it's been proven. It's been proven that attractive students get more attention from the professor and higher evaluations than their uglier peers that good-looking people get better service from their doctors that's why i'm waiting in the waiting room all that time handsome criminals get lighter sentences than their companions in crime there are many studies about skinny people and overweight people and the one that burns me up is that taller people get preferential treatment over short people. 
That's just wrong. Rich and poor, all getting different treatment based on their outward appearance. We can't judge a person's character by their skin color. You know, I'm not the first one to say that. The first thing we should do when we hear something about someone is we should pray. We should pray for discernment. We should go to the source. Instead of sharing it over here, we should go find out what we can, what's underneath the appearance. We need to look in before looking out, and we, we, just, we, we can't just use outward appearances. That's how you, that's how you judge in a non-judgmental way. So the Apostle Paul dealt with a problem that I'm afraid some of us have this problem. And that problem I'm talking about is we say, well, you know, it's not mine to judge. It's their business. It's just their business. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul dealt with a problem. He was telling these people, he said, you, you got a guy in your church, in your fellowship, who's having an intimate sexual relationship, that's what Paul meant there, with his stepmother, and you're okay with it. You haven't approached him. He's still a key person in your fellowship. You're treating it like it's no big deal. All of you are saying, well, you know, his dad died and he, and we don't even know that. We don't know the, really the situation. We know it was bad. But it's none of my business. You know, that's his business. If he wants to shack up with his stepmother, that's his business. It's weird, but I'm not, what can I do about it? And so the whole fellowship, now maybe, maybe it's not yours to judge, but it should be yours to inform somebody who does have the authority. And if you're friends with that person, it's your responsibility. You can't leave it to somebody else. Paul implies here that what you're, what you're doing here is you're letting them think it's okay when in actuality, they're, they're going to be judged severely and go to hell for this because you thought it was not your business and you're just going to let them go. You just let them do what they want to do. And that's false teaching. That's misleading. You're giving, giving them the impression that everything is okay. So Paul said, what, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And this is where we get the idea that, hey, if, if a person is lost, if he's not a Christian, if she's not a believer, they're already judged. They're already judged. It's not our place to judge. We can't judge a sinful world. It's not our place to judge a sinful world. That's God's place. What we can judge and who we need to be judging are one another. Why? Because I love you. And I don't want to see you fall away. I don't want to see you throw this away and ruin your life and your family and your children, your legacy and generations to come, and perhaps your soul. I don't want to see that. In addition to that, when you signed up, when you said, I believe, when you said, he's my Lord, you said, I'll do what he says. And you're not living up to his expectations. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, but we got to try to 
live up to his expectations. And if you're living in sin, you need to change that. You need to change it, and somebody needs to tell you that. But how do we do that? In Galatians chapter 6, Paul tells us how to do that. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, if you know someone in the fellowship who needs to be judged, you find somebody else and you say, we need, we need to help this person. But we need to be careful that we're not pulled into it and that we don't create all this drama. We need to love them enough. Love them enough to say, hey, I care about you. And I just, I just can't watch you go down this road. At least give them an opportunity, like Jesus did, to walk away. But you've done your part. You're loving. And you should speak the truth in love. Let Jesus take care of the unbelievers. You know what he said in John chapter 3, after he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then listen to what he said in John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen to the next verse. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So you know what we need to do for those people? They're already going to hell. It needs to break our heart. And we need to share the gospel with them and say, please come. Come repent of your sins and name Jesus as Lord of your life. And, and uh, let's, let's follow him with our life. Let's be baptized, washing those sins away. And let's live for him as best we can. And then we'll help one another along the way. Judge not that you be not judged. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day, for this message, for this passage. Help us, Lord, to follow after you. We can't see everything. We can't know everything. Sometimes we judge just by the outward appearances. Forgive us of that, Lord. Help us to, help us to look at the heart and help us to love people enough to help them and help us to be able to receive the accountability or the instruction or the admonition from others knowing that they love us too much to leave us in a state of sin. That's my prayer, God. Thank you for this word from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount.